fellow songwriters, and welcome to the 22nd episode of the How Songs Are Made podcast, where we talk to notable artists about their songwriting process. I am your host, Trey Xavier, and today I'm going to be talking to my buddy guitarist, Sean Ash, about how he writes songs. Today's episode is sponsored by the amazing DistroKid, the best way to get your music on the internet, and their awesome hyperfollow feature. Hyperfollow is a completely free and awesomely powerful promotional tool for anyone who uses DistroKid. It's the one-stop shop for all the links to streaming services and stores for your DistroKid release. This is the link that you give people when they ask where to hear your band. You know, it's like, oh my God, you're in a band? Where where can I hear you? This is the link that you give them. So the the instant that you finish uploading your track to DistroKid, you can start marketing it even before it's actually live on all the stores by collecting pre-saves that include fan email addresses on Spotify. Um, so And you can customize your Hyperfollow page to include all of your social media stuff and all of that. And then as soon as your release goes live, uh, your Hyperfollow page automatically updates to include the links to all of those streaming services and stores. And the link never changes. You can find your Hyperfollow link on your DistroKid album page. This is an ultra simple tool that every artist should be using. And you're going to want to check the link in my description for 7% off your first year of DistroKid. And now, his brand new single, Tangerine Dream, is out now in the form of a very sick music video. Please welcome my guest, Sean Ash. How's it going? What up? Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. I have known Sean Ash, let's see, you, That's- talking about you in the third person. As if you're not sitting right here. Well, it's the official one. Don't forget that on the URL. <laughs> right. Sean Ash. I've known Sean Ash Music at Sean Ash Music for like seven or eight years now, I think. It's been a minute. It, I, I, it's been eight or nine, I think, really. Damn. I don't even remember how we met. It was probably through the uh, through the interwebs of some sort. And then, yeah, I remember you had posted a couple videos uh, covering like a lick from a series I used to do called Kick-Ash yes. Licks. And then later on in a NAM, you were like, hey, man, do you want to do an interview? And I'm like, sure. And uh, that was when I got first brought into the Gear Gods metaverse. So, <laughs> Yeah, dude, the uh, the multiverse of madness of Gear Gods. Um, Absolutely. I, so, And then we did it again the next year. So this is actually our third interview. And I actually have Look at that. an unrelated but hilarious story regarding... The second time we did an interview. Let's hear it. I don't know if I actually told you about this because it's kind of embarrassing. But so, you know, Nam, it's crazy. You run around like a total, like just a psycho for four days. Oh, yeah. We had set up this interview and I was like trying to get there on time. Something was running over or whatever. I was running late. And I had to go to the bathroom super bad. And you were like, hey, bro, where you at? We're going to do this interview or what? And I was like, shit, I just got to like hit the bathroom real quick. And then I'll. And you know how it is in the convention center. The bathrooms have two entrances and they're like really far away from each other. So I, yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, where's the bathroom? I was like, oh, no, that's the women's room. I just got to go to the other side. Walked around to the other side, was not paying attention. Went and did my, you know, didn't pay it. Didn't notice that there were no like urinals. I just went in a stall, came out like washing my hands and I look over and there's a woman washing her hands. And I was like, what's, why is there a woman in the men's room? Oh no. Oh no. I went in the women's bathroom because I was trying to get to you. <laughs> That's so funny. Cause I thought I saw you in there and I had to run to get to the interview <laughs> spot. No, <laughs> 
Holy that's shit. awesome, man. I'm sure. You, I'm sure afterwards you're like, you know, that was pretty clean in there, though. So, um, wild, fucking wild. Um, anyway, so that uh, it feels good to get that off my chest. Um, well, luckily, glad, uh, nobody screamed, um, and because uh, it was an honest mistake. I'm not a weirdo. Anyway, but musically speaking, <laughs> I have also followed you for all of that time. You know, I, I remember uh, your first like very early playthroughs of early songs back when uh, it was a little more lawless on YouTube, a little more of a wild west, and you could yeah. it wasn't uh, it wasn't it wasn't quite so many. I don't know, people c- competing for space. Definitely. And I remember being very struck by your phrasing and uh, and melodic development and things in your songs. That's, I, I Thanks, think man. at the time you were pretty pretty young. At least you looked young. I don't know. Yeah. How, how, old, how old are you now? Uh, I'm 29 now. Yeah, okay. So you would have been, yeah, like about 21. Yeah, and maybe even earlier because I started uploading to YouTube before Google. You know, it was still Google Video and YouTube were existing. So I remember I was uploading to two different places at once and – there's videos that aren't online anymore. I don't even have them, unfortunately. But you know, some covers of some Led Zeppelin stuff. Um, I don't. I mean, it's so long ago. I can barely remember it. But yeah, it was it was way back in the day on there. And you know, I started by posting a lot of covers, and then I morphed into doing gear videos because I was getting nerdy about gear and I wanted to share in that. But also, I knew that it was a good market just because people were really supportive. And you know, it's everyone sharing in something that isn't just the music, but you can kind of hook them with like, oh, that was a really good little solo. Like maybe I'll follow him for that, you know? So I, I kind of strategized on that. I didn't think it too much, but eventually I kind of got, I don't want to say burnt out, but I just got disinterested in kind of playing that game of, I'm going to put up a video, this frequency, I'm going to do this. You know, I'm not really great at that now, but I got focused on writing and developing music that was my own. And I put one song out and this was probably 2013, so that's probably when we ran into each other. And uh, I was really surprised with how people uh, were so positive. And I don't mean that like I was expecting it to be bad. It just – it was a time of YouTube where some stuff would just pop off. And I remember I uploaded this video. Next day I woke up and, I mean, it had a couple thousand plays. And I was like, well, shoot, I have no other music. So <laughs> I had to get really quickly um, attempting to be prolific, you know. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where my YouTube stuff started. But it all really started with YouTube, frankly. No other platform. I mean, that was pretty much the one. Yeah. Um, I mean, I still think YouTube is the bomb. Here we are on YouTube yeah. right now. It's my whole life. It's my it's my job and my hobby. So um, I mean, absolutely. Uh, it's it's changed a lot in that time, but it's still, I think, one of the best outlets for just anything you know direct to fan stuff like there's not a lot of places you can get that 100 percent. i mean youtube is still to me you know probably my most visited website i use it for um i sound like i'm a sponsor for youtube google please pay me (laughs) um or enable adsense that would be cool but uh anyways so the thing with youtube is you know it's an open field where anyone can upload and I understand now, you know, satur- anything that gets oversaturated or I don't want to say oversaturated, but enough people using it, it's harder to get noticed. But there's plenty of people that I noticed that out of it seems nowhere, they just become known for their magnificent talents. So it's just important to look at all the platforms, I think, and go, how can I best use this to share what I'm trying to do? You know, I'm not, I don't have a great relationship with TikTok and not that I dislike it. I just don't use it. So I know I have to get on there because, you know, it's the game you got to play. And uh, I just want to find my way that I can use it to share with what I'm doing, you know, and that's going to be different for everyone. And that's what's cool about it. 
So well, I think yeah, lucky it, for you, you're starting with a thing that has a lot of like it has a lot of depth and a lot of inherent quality that isn't just like a bunch of flashy nothingness. Um, of course, you sort of have to then apply that like facade of like attention grabbing something, but then people, you know, the there there will always be those people who are just like ha ha funny sound whatever like swipe yeah. but then there are people who are like oh wait there's something here and then then they can check you out and go like oh damn absolutely um so you're funneling using it to funnel people to your to the real shit what that you're doing um yeah, which is what we're 100%. here to talk about today anyways the game is hard the game is hard to play yeah but you you can't win if you don't play you can't win if you don't play you've been throwing your dart at those balloons I don't know what game are we playing. Um, Ninety nine, rid of them. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Since twenty thirteen, and um, now I think the stakes have been raised. You've put out what is has got to be your uh, highest production piece of content uh, in the form of your new music video. Um, I Def- mean, everything you've put out previously has been good, has looked good, sounds great. Um, in terms of your videos and stuff, but this is a this is a whole other level. This is a proper music video with an actor and drone shots, the works for Tangerine Dream, and it's um, also highlights a what I would call a, a different, a slightly different sound from a lot of the stuff you've put out previously. What I want to know is is not so much about the video, which is, uh, I'm just trying to get people to watch it because it's amazing. Thanks, man. Uh, and super fun. I want to know the really the only question that exists on this podcast and all the other questions are follow-ups now that we've got the niceties out of the way. The, the number one question is what is your songwriting process for the new stuff? And then how is it different from stuff you've put out in the past? Yeah, well, I think with any process, it's really easy to take a snapshot of it and to say, that's what I do or that's what I did then. But I've always kind of looked at process as being this ever-evolving process. No, it's this, it's this <laughs> ever-evolving uh, kind of entity that exists, which is that you're going to find through time different ways to do things and, and grow and change, et cetera. So the first thing is I really try to embrace that. I'm somewhat unconventional in the way that I'm not – well, I don't want to say unconventional. I'm sure there's – everyone does things a different way. But I don't really like to force myself to songwrite a whole lot. In terms of I don't sit down at my desk and go, okay, we're writing a song today. I'm going to do this. Now, there's a time for that, especially if you get commissioned to do a piece or something. You have to have that skill set to be able to pull that out, right? But for at least the stuff I want to release as a solo artist, you know, I, I my art, if you will, I, I really want it to feel like something that's natural to me. So one thing I try to do is I keep a really open-ended starting process. So I have a whole entire hard drive full of videos and audio of me just noodling and playing hundreds of hundreds of gigabytes of stuff. I have not even looked through 98% of it, but then some of those ideas, maybe they evolve and I'll bring into a logic session. And then from there I go, okay, this one's worth capturing, but mostly has to do with taste and sorting and prioritizing. So ideas are, it's like that one question that's a, I don't know if you're watching Norm McDonald's podcast, but the running bit was where do ideas come from? Cause it's this, it's this, you know, no one can really answer that. Everyone's experience is a little different in how they come up with an idea. But I like to invite them in. That's either through noodling, maybe I'm playing the piano. Maybe you're just sitting there and you hear a melody in your head or you have an idea of a song that could be going, oh, I want a song that 
sounds like this or gives me this imagery in my head. But you have to start with that and then do something with it. But I try not to get too tunnel vision on ideas anymore because I think like all parallel lines are all pointed the same direction. So it's okay to have 40 songs that you're working on. So I just try to keep conscious of every idea that to me I am attracted to, and that could be different every day, the ones that feel natural to me. And then probably going to your question of what's different between older material and the newest stuff is that I'm really trying to write for a live audience. When I wrote for Flux, I was in a, uh, you know, I was in my bedroom studio, and now I'm in a studio that used to be a bedroom. So I'm slowly working my way up, right? So the next thing, rather than just publishing music, is taking that and bringing it live. So I've actually played a couple of live shows with my solo stuff, a couple of private events, but it, full band, it went really, really great. Um, I had a blast doing it, but there's elements of my first record, Flux, that, um, I find harder to pull off live than, say, a traditional rock song, if you will. Like, say, Tangerine Dream, I feel is a little bit more traditional. Um, less sound design, or rather less elements where that's it's relying on the sound design to be there. You know, or like, it's like, oh, where's that cello? I'm trying to get not away from it, but to just be conscious of it as I write the new stuff, because I want to play live to people. I mean, not saying that, you know, I wouldn't use backing tracks live, because I'm, I'm definitely doing that with my new rehearsals and uh, or rehearsals for my new band, but I just want to make it more concise so that way when it goes live, it feels like, oh, they're just some guys on a stage playing. So that's kind of the biggest difference. But then again, you know, I write a lot of music and a lot of stuff that doesn't come out, some of it purposeful, um, some of it to be in development of the next thing. But the consistent process is that I'm always trying to be creative. And that does not mean music. Um, that could mean, you know, maybe on the side you do stand-up comedy and maybe, uh, you're developing a music video idea, but you need to keep that faucet running because otherwise you'll just get out of the habit. Same as like doing, you know, going for a walk in the morning or going to the gym. If you, once you get out of doing it, it's a lot harder to get back into it. So that's my process is just capturing creativity as much as I can and hoping that I'm capturing something unique and fresh and uh, something that will inspire people over a long time or maybe even just once. Would you say more often than not the ideas that you wind up grabbing in the from these sessions and stuff are they usually melodic ideas or are they more often chord progressions or riffs or something? That's a really hard thing for me to to kind of say cuz I I don't think about it like that, like melodic versus non-melodic. That's not necessarily how I write or I think of writing music. It's more that's a quality I'm always hoping for in the music. I want it to have that thing. You know, I've growing up, I, my favorite band was the Beatles, you know, and still probably is next to Rush. So I just like really good songwriting and really nice melodic music. So I think because I like that, I'm just attracted to those ideas more naturally. You know, it, it doesn't come to my mind as like, oh, that one right there. But my last single, Ocean, I actually started writing that one with the bass guitar. And I wrote almost the entire song structure on the bass first, and then I layered everything on top of it. But w when you say melody, the way I kind of see music is harmony and melody being two sides of the same coin. And especially when we look at guitar music, you know, if you want to call it the backing track or what have you, it's always chords or sound happening. So anything you do in relation to that is in harmony to that. So I'm always just thirsty for good harmony, even if it's simple, you know, even if it's a classic one, five, six, four, and it's a great pop song, the way in which that melody or that voice or that instrument settles against that foundation, that's what excites me. 
So I think my natural, like intuitive, just attraction to that is probably why I tend to release stuff in that vein. But I, I certainly have stuff that's very not melodic, heavier stuff that no one's heard, you know, very rhythmic things. I don't know. I guess like the, the, the reason I ask it in that way is because I think that's what draws me to your music every time is how melodic it is and how good your phrasing is, which is like Thanks, man. phrasing is like one of these words that guitar players throw around a lot. Usually I think they're thinking of like improv soloing, not the like the composition aspect. And I think to me, that's really what creates the memorable nature of of songs is like good phrasing. There are a lot of guitarists out there who are way, way better than me in every aspect, but their phrasing isn't isn't that great, maybe, or it's or they're just focusing on other aspects of it. And I think they wind up, I don't know, just like their music might be great, but it falls by the wayside because it's not that memorable because of their phrasing. And I think that maybe you took all of it. You took all of their phrasing and <laughs> and melodicism. That's very kind of you. And I do think, you know, everyone's at a different stage in their playing. Um, you know, you mentioned I started kind of young in this thing. So I've actually, I've had the opportunity to watch a lot of players that we know today as being amazing players grow, you know, and see them post a video that maybe wasn't so great or their guitar was out of tune or whatever it was, right? And when you're in the moment, it's so easy to go like, oh, you know, that's not, that's missing this or this. And really, it's that now that's just an open window that's – or something, an opening that's waiting to be discovered for them. For me, I grew up around – I have a lot of those. <laughs> I, I grew up around music. So my dad's an amazing songwriter, um, rock guitar player, did all the you know permed hair in the 80s. I think you can still find some of his demos from his metal band Flashpoint online. Wow. They're great from the Chicago area, um, yeah, like late 80s, and uh, I grew up around that. So then as time went on, he did a lot of acoustic guitar and singer-songwriter music. And the entire time I was, you know, I mean, today he still does this, but the entire time I was a kid and then living with my parents, he would be working on three songs at a time always. It wasn't really ever a time he wasn't working on music. So I think because of that, I, I was around just songs. And the one thing with a great song, you know, and that's, let's just say this too, is a song is different than a composition, is different than a piece, is different than a, they're all different formats. But when I think of a song, I think of something with lyrics. And I know that's, you know, funny to come from an instrumental guitar player, but I think of a vocalist. So when I make my instrumental stuff, it's it's kind of funny how it came about. You know, if I, if I could put a little story in here to explain it is that, I you know, I didn't try to do instrumental music. I was in bands and I was trying to do the band thing. And I was also living in Indiana and I didn't have a lot of people around me or access to the music scene for a variety of reasons. It just didn't, you know, I wasn't connected in there and I didn't have a lot of people to play with. So when my one band that I was playing with, Eleven Drive, uh, with my cousin, great. It was a pop punk band, like one of my favorite styles of music ever, kind of like Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco stuff. I still love that stuff to this day. That fell apart, and I was also doing the you know Dream Theater covers online and doing all that stuff. So I was like, well, let me just do this then, because I don't have to rely on anyone except myself. So that's why I got into the solo career aspect, but I couldn't sing at the time. I'm still working on my singing now. It's far better than it was, but... You know, I'm sticking with the guitar for now. And uh, because of that feeling, though, I've always wanted a vocal-ish quality to the music. And my inspirations being guys like Andy Timmons, Sean Lane, Jeff Beck, you know, Guthrie Govan, great phrasing too. I mean, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, the list can keep going on and on of these guys who all say, try to emulate a vocalist. And I think it's really important to listen to good advice when it's in front of you. 
So when you see all of the greatest saying the same thing, you know, so I, I really paid attention to that. So I, I, I'm glad that um, you like my phrasing. And I'd say that to people who are working on it, the only thing you have to do is try playing vocal stuff on guitar. Put on a song that you really like and then play the vocal melody to it without practicing it, mind you. Connect your hand to your brain and your musical mind and let that come out. You know, if you listen to Jeff Beck, you know, that's all you really need to do also is listen to Jeff Beck, the Beatles, and you'll be good to go. But that's a great way to do it because it transcends genre. You know, you don't have to learn this solo from that song or this from that. You just get to follow what your inspiration is. So with that being said, I write lyrics for a fair bit of my instrumental music, and it really helps me write the parts. Um, that's something that is not constant. It's not all of the time, but it helps It helps get out of a block, if you want to call it that. It gives a different angle on there. But again, that's what I'm trying to do, is I'm trying to be the melody. You know, that's what makes Joseph Giovanni so great, is he, you know, he leans into it. He knows what his job is, is that he's the lead vocalist. So when you know what you're supposed to be doing in the context of what you're creating, and I say supposed to being, um, that's arbitrary, I know, but still, when you're when you're following that role, you want to do your best at that. And I think it's easy as a guitar player to be so attracted to concepts like technique or different types of sound design to ignore that part of it enough to where it's noticed. But most great guitar players are just a couple of, you know, lessons of vibrato off from being quite remarkable in terms of combining that and having their own unique phrasing from that. Yeah, agreed. You hear a lot of players who... Um who, can, who have a very vocal quality to their playing, and you don't really think of it like that, but you're just attracted to it. I never really thought of directly emulating a, a vocal line like that, but that's a good that's a good way to go about it. It's, I'm shocked and very intrigued to hear you say that you've written lyrics for your instrumental. Yeah. Th- that, but it makes 100% perfect sense. Write it like it's a song for a singer, and then just you play the just play the words. Yeah. And the melodies that you that the singer would play. That makes perfect sense. And as a guitar player, we have two things that really help is that we have the the wah pedal, which I've funnily enough not ever used in any of my music yet. I'm I need to have a wah song where people are like, dude, that's too much wah. I'd be like, I know. Um, and then the wang bar, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that's that really can help you get so much expressiveness out of a guitar, but even if you play a Telecaster, you don't even need that. Just some good pre-bends and uh, shake it, you know, make it yeah. make it count. But the other thing with vocals is is dynamics, you know. A lot of times when we practice things on the guitar, it's did I accomplish putting my fingers there in that time and did I get through the lick without, you know, screwing up too many notes. And that's not really as much playing the music. You know, singers have to think about this so much more. They're thinking about the position, you know. Maybe if they're trained, you know, thinking about their different vocal cords uh, or I know nothing about singing as evidenced by explaining this, but <laughs> moving their mouth stuff, you know, knowing how to do that. They have to be prepared to sing certain lyrics, even if it's so close to their heart. They have to know how they're going to accomplish that. So as a guitar player, you go, OK, I want to make this sound um, a little bit more somber. So I'm going to move my pickup to the neck so that way it gets a deeper tone and less transient. Or if you have a word that's really aggressive and you really mean it, or even that feeling in a song, hit it a little bit harder closer to the bridge, and you're going to get a bit more of a metallic, how do I put it, a grating sound rather than something that's nice and smooth. So I like to consider all these things. It's not mega conscious when I play. A lot of that's, I think, done in practice and, and the work, so to speak. But I think that in instrumental music especially, 
it's a good thing to think about. You don't always have to do it. I mean, if you take, here's a good example is you take a band like Polyphia, who they are just one of my favorite acts in the entire genre because it's so different, right? But everything they do is so vocal. Now, does it sound like Aretha Franklin singing? No, but it sounds like really amazing pop singers doing what they're best at. That's the job. That's the gig, right? So if you're playing really crazy thrash metal, you probably don't need, I mean, it would sound good, but you probably don't need slide blues phrasing, you know? That's probably not going to just come up in the middle of the song. But if it fits the context, it's important to work on and, and try to foster over time. I'm still working on this stuff. I'm really trying to get that way more vocal sound, like some of my heroes, like Sean Lane, one of the greatest of all time. You know, he's so underrated phrasing-wise. He could sound exactly like Hendrix and then sound exactly like himself and then play faster than anyone's ever heard, right? So it's it's a mountain that I think is is one worth climbing for every every guitarist, but every musician. You can do the same thing on drums, phrasing your rides. The whole ride symbol is an instrument, you know, and by how you hit it, it can articulate differently. Yeah, dynamics super underemphasized in guitar stuff. Mostly, I mean, maybe because flashy guitar stuff doesn't tend to be very dynamic. The squeaky wheel gets the grease, whatever, like. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of time, you it's hard to get past that, right? Like, you go like, oh, damn, that inspires you maybe to pick up the guitar and get good at it. And then you spend so much, because it's so hard to do that, like crazy fast, shreddy, clean picking, yeah. you know, learning a bunch of techniques and stuff, you don't get to the point where you're thinking like, oh, right, these guys also have great tasty phrasing, great vibrato, great dynamics. They can play uh, less intense. So it's, yeah. Yeah. And I think another factor of it too, with that being said, is that, you know, you hit a certain point with a certain style and you realize not that you're doing anything wrong, but that you, ne that you need to look at it differently. And that might require a lot of time and effort. Like if you've only played um, really technical death metal your whole life and you hold the guitar with your thumb on the bottom shoulder of the neck, there is no way you are ever going to have good vibrato and bending. It will not. It's, it's physically impossible unless you're playing like sixes or sevens or something. The hand just doesn't do that, you know. So that requires a whole new approach. And that's a lot to ask of anyone, let alone yourself. You know, just let me just change up everything about what I'm doing because I want to. You know, that's not many people go through their lives like that. I like it. I like being wrong. I like trying out different stuff and going, shoot, I have to completely relearn this because not, this isn't going to work for this, this and that. Because that's going back to creativity. That's where all the fun happens. It's like you don't know what's going to happen. And it's all an invitation for maybe a good idea. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So. Going back to your sort of process and how this stuff applies to that when you've, once you've got the idea, okay, once you've got the whatever it is, how do you generally develop it? What's the next step to developing it into a song? You said you started the the um, ocean. You mo wrote mostly on the bass. That uh, I, that feels like you mentioned it because it was notable. Because you don't usually do it like that, or or you haven't sure. maybe before. But what's another way that you go about it? The next thing on the list. Yeah. Well, you know, I use Logic. That's my DAW of choice. You know, they're all great. All my friends tell me I should learn Ableton, but you know, so far this is working pretty good for me. So I like to get. The ideas in a bass form, not bass, but um, a basic form into a logic session. So, of course, the first things you do is you figure out the tempo. You figure out 
time signatures, maybe what software instruments you're going to use. Maybe if you're lazy like me and didn't make a template, you have to set up all your inputs and outputs. Just capture that initial spark of an idea and then develop it from there. And I know that's pretty open-ended, but it could be that it needs to be developed just one riff at a time with a drum track, or you want to develop eight bars into being the sickest eight-bar teaser clip you've ever heard so you can get inspired to do the next three minutes of it. So it's that's different. I can speak, though, on the newer music that I've done since Flux. It all started being written right after Flux. So I have some material on the new record that started 2016 right after that. And I just... Sometimes it takes time and to put stuff out or takes a while to write it. But what I tried to do with some of this material is to have it feel really good played by itself on one guitar. So whatever part it was, whether it was the rhythm guitar part, the lead guitar part, the, like the melody part, I wanted to be able to sit there on an acoustic guitar and play it and go, that's a cool song. I didn't want to have to have everything else going on to be the song. Not for any other reason than I just wanted to try that out and see how it how it went. With Flux, I went very deep into software instruments and doing MIDI, and it's great fun to do that too, but I just wanted to try a different way. Like I said, a lot of this was also slated for more of that live feeling, so I almost wanted to feel like it was developed in a room. So I liked a lot of the stuff to be uh, feeling good solo guitar. Uh, I play a lot of acoustic guitar. So even Tangerine Dream, the way that I sketched that song out initially was that I got my acoustic guitar, and I tried to get all those riffs for the rhythm guitar written and then spaced out there then brought into Logic, then from there edited, changed. You know, you do a billion takes and you decide you'd like this thing differently. Um, but with Tangerine Dream, I actually had the opportunity to develop it with the video. So as soon as I knew that this was going to be a song that I was going to use as my next single, so this was when I did Ocean, this was uh, May of 2021, I already had the beginning of Tangerine Dream figured out. That like first kind of like, a, it's like a Petrucci meets Van Halen riff, you know? I, I did that music video for Ocean, and the director I worked with, he just happened to mention that he had done a music video for a band called Tangerine Dream. And I had never heard of them, but I had already made that the title. And I went, this is a sign. So, you know, like that, not literally, but I was like, okay, it's set. I like the song. I'm just going to make that my vision. So I knew that I was going to do a video for it as I wrote it. And then around the time when I started finishing the song, I had the final drum takes from uh, the drummer I work with, who's awesome. Andreas Sion, he's just, he's a huge part of my process as well, but we can get to that in a second. I developed the storyline of the video and how I saw it in my mind as I wrote the leads and performed the leads. So I loved that. That's the first time I've ever done that. I'm certainly going to be doing that many, many, many more times because it creates this mesh pairing of they're not, they're not inseparable. They both exist on their own, but they're cohesive. It's not an afterthought and it's not like I wrote the song for the video. I just knew that I was going to do that. So that's the one cool thing with that song. Um, that's pretty different, but it was fun. I don't know. I'm really lucky to be able to do that and uh, work with the team that had the vision and told me they could get it done too, because it really inspired me to make it a fun song. That's super wild. I always think of like, for example, scoring a scene from a movie or a TV show, right? You have the picture, you have to come up with the music that you think will fit the scene. And then I always think of a music video as the opposite. You're scoring music with picture. Mm -hmm. But what you've got here is the third option. They are both born in the same moment. And then you make, they, they just don't exist without each other. You're telling a whole story. And I think that, you know, storytelling, right? Well, I mean, what are songs? They're telling you a story. They're bringing you a meaning of some kind, even if it's something um, just that you relate to. It's bringing you something. 
So with Storyline, all of my songs that are on the newest record, they all have stories to them. Maybe they have lyrics too. You know, it's that, that could maybe be intertwined with that. But I like to create stories as I'm writing the song because it's a great tool as a writer to populate your environment. Let's say you're writing a song and you envision that it's in a forest and you go, well, okay, what's my set and setting? Is it daytime or nighttime? Because that's going to really influence how the song sounds. If it's a daytime in a forest, that's a completely different sounding thing and idea than a nighttime forest, right? Even if you just picture that and how you feel, it's a different feeling. Then you go, okay, what's the temperature like? What does it look like? What's going on there? Who are my characters? So if you can use that as a tool in songwriting, it just makes it easier because now it's not, you're not just relying on your own like, uh, you know, creative inspiration. You're actually storyboarding what the song's function is, which is when it gets to the end, what are you supposed to be left with? So it doesn't have to be a crazy, awesome meaning either. It could be silly. It could be truly anything. But to give something meaning to the song or a, 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 an analogy or a metaphor that is not just the 12 notes that we all have, that sounds like a win-win to me. And then if you end up employing that in the artwork or the music video, then that's just, you know, it, it all works together and lives in one ecosystem. So that's that's the thing with the new songs. They all have a song, uh, no, so, all the songs have a new song to them. Um, they all have a story to them. And one that, not that I wouldn't feel comfortable sharing. I just, it's, it's all so arbitrary, just like kind of what I'm getting out of it. And what's cool about instrumental music is I'm not telling you what to think. So you can make your own music video in your mind for every song that you've ever heard that's instrumental. It could be a completely different meaning to you. And that's, that's pretty cool in, in art. It's, it's kind of hard to find that I find honestly, but, no matter what you're going in with you're you're still intending a thing like to you it has it will forever have this association when you hear the song you think of those things yeah and i would be very interested to hear what percentage of people hear it and get us at least a similar vibe of what you were th- hearing when you um or what you were thinking of when you hear it I would be. It would be pretty cool, really kind of like an ink blot test. Like, what do you see? You know. Yeah. That would be pretty cool. Maybe that'll be album four, ink blot. Ink blot. <laughs> I have to trademark that right now. Damn it. Do it. But uh, I don't know that you necessarily need to do that. If you you literally just put out a song that's the same name as a as a band, I don't think anybody. That's true. Um, if they're not going to go after you, then I don't think anybody will. <laughs> that's funny that you'd never heard of them before i don't know that i've ever listened to them but as soon as i saw the title of your new song i was like oh yeah that's a band isn't it tangerine dream (laughs) where the name came from initially i first saw the two words together tangerine dream from when tom anderson guitar works they did a write-up on one of my guitars i'd ordered it was an orange telecaster style guitar and if anyone who follows me they've seen it i i love the thing it's a great guitar but, you know, Roy, the guy who writes the articles, is like, Sean's been living the tangerine dream. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I thought of Satriani flying in a blue dream. Mm-hmm. So, and then I'm in California. So I thought, blue dream, tangerine dream, I can get those at the dispensary. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of where the song name came from, is that. Uh, I didn't think about the band name, but it was this mix of... Paying, I knew it was going to be a complete nod to the late 80s, early 90s guitar thing. I, you know, if I'm being honest, I was trying to write the missing track from like Satriani and Vi's catalog from that era, mm-hmm. not in a way of like really trying to do it, but like that, that meaning of like, what am I, tr- what is the song? It's like, okay, what if, what if I wrote a thing they didn't write yet? And that, f- in that time, in that time, like uh, of when they were doing that, what would they be listening to and how would they get those tones and kind of going from that approach. So yeah. Awesome. 
Oh, man. So many good questions I could ask about this. I don't know which direction to go. With that in mind, thinking visually as... So now we've got two different uh, sort of ways that you're thinking about it, right? Like the guitar as sort of the vocalist, emulating vocals to, to some extent. Thinking of it visually, the story, the video that it could go with... The uh, the human drama aspect almost right mm. this uh, this tension and and um, and interest between you and the and the um, the escaped prisoner maybe yeah. in the <laughs> in the video what other aspects are you thinking of when you're when you're putting this stuff down like what other metaphorical ways are you thinking about it yeah well uh, one th- like tangerine dream also exists in a way as it's a pretty straightforward rock song, right? So it exists because I had had this conversation with my the uh, guy who plays drums on my music. His name's Andreas Schoen. He's so talented. I recommend check, checking out anything he's done. He has a cool drum playthrough of Tangerine Dream coming soon too. But he and I were talking and I asked him, I said, hey, so I have these songs that we've been recording and what do you think is missing? Like from an album, like what do you think as a drummer, what are you missing playing on on an album? Like you're going to tell people you play drums on this and it has all your playing. What do you feel like is missing as a player? He goes, well, he goes, every song so far is pretty complicated. So I would probably say no more octavariums and octavarium <laughs> relating to Dream Theater's octavarium because there's some complex songs on this where like they don't really have to be. They just were. I was like, dang, and I didn't know it was odd time or like I didn't know it was a tempo change. But when he said that to me, it made me smile because I knew exactly what he meant, which was just write a song that gets to the point. It's in, out, it, you know what you're going to get. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a guitar song. And I used to really shy away from that. I, I've, you know, I think we all kind of get in our head as artists and be like, oh, I, I identify as this kind of artist. I'm an, I'm a, in fact, I'm not a songwriter. I'm a composer. You know, and like we can get into those different moods as people. But you know, you are who you are. So it's like I write guitar music and I don't really have a song yet until Tangerine Dream that was like the guitar guy song. You know, I have stuff that features elements of it, but I wanted to hit it on the nose. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I definitely need an arpeggio section. Like I need a section where I just blaze and it's the tab seller. Like I need Uh that to be the, you know, and I thought about that. I was like, I'm going to write a part that makes that's kind of a spectacle for people to see. And just even in, okay, I'm going to put tapping in there because I don't have any tapping in any of my licks yet. And thinking in that way, I don't think it's uninspiring to think about that, you know, and think like, okay, we need, we need a hit on an album. I mean, there's a good reason you think about these things because they are time and tested and they work. So I just try not to fight some of those ideas as I'm writing, and especially this song and a couple of the other new ones too, a bit more straightforward because, you know, my drummer said, let's play one like this or... Um, thinking, what am I missing from my catalog yet that I've never done before? And that's what also gets me so excited is like, okay, album three, album three, even though I need to put two out. It's like, what can I do next? It's almost working from a prompt. You kind of went searching for a prompt. Yeah, well, I, you know song, uh, the song Erotic Nightmares on Passion and Warfare? It's I listened to that and I went, I don't have one of these. I was like, I've never written a song that has a cool riff like that. And just for months and months, I just kept jamming riffs, and I finally hit upon that Tangerine Dream one, and I went, that's it. So not all songs come out like that. You know, sometimes you're just in a, maybe you're heartbroken, you sit with your acoustic guitar, and you just come up with the most beautiful melody, and you're like, that healed me. Or sometimes you might just see a dog, and you write like, oh, it makes me feel like this. We shouldn't judge our own inspiration. And uh, Steve Vai, you know, mentioned him again, he said something great, which is don't be afraid of your own inspiration. If you're inspired by you know, guitar players who are the atypical guys that you hear, do it. 
lean into it because that you're drawn to that for a good reason. I like that a lot. Sometimes I get I go down weird rabbit holes and find out things like that in songwriting, musical rabbit holes specifically, and find out weird things about myself. Like that I didn't know that I liked that sound, that idea or whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily, I think part of the reason people are scared of it is because they think that if they like a thing that they have to put it in their music or they have to whatever you like, if you, if you play a certain kind of music, you can like enjoy a certain kind of a sound that doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. And you don't have to suddenly change your whole everything just to, because, you, oh, I happen to like reggaeton beats or something. You don't have to like change the direction of your thrash band just because you found a thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just pull 180. Guys, I have an idea. The drummer comes in. Guys, I wrote a song, you <laughs> yeah. know. Oh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think, you know, people judge themselves far too hard. And I just say, because I've judged myself so hard about writing and finding demos that I did back in 2011, 2012, where I, I would think, this sounds like I'm just writing and it's copy of my heroes. I don't have my own voice, you know, and all those thoughts that go through our head. And I listen to it now. I'm like, man, this is great. I should steal this <laughs> from my old self because your perspective changes. But what we identify with, you know, it's so important. It's, a, it's everything from the clothes that you wear to the music that you write, the guitar that you play. It's how you identify with what you're doing. And as artists, you know, that's a, that's a tough balance because we have our own creativity and the things that we're a fan of. And that, like you said, it does, they don't need to be the same thing. They can be completely different. I mean, I spend a lot of my listening time listening to so non-related guitar music, not because I don't like it. I just like that stuff a little bit more sometimes. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, like Panic at the Disco or Fall Out Boy or Paramore. I jam that stuff on the regular today, and that inspires Tangerine Dream a lot more than a lot of the jazz fusion stuff I love listening to and practicing and working on and working towards. But it's just the reality of it. It's like, well, I like that flavor ice cream. Just give me vanilla. Like, I, why, why change it? Give me that, you know? <laughs> so once you've, like, kind of got some some vanilla once you've got <laughs> once you've got sure. something that's that's inspired you that you've done that you've taken off right you're you're developing it a bit like what do you how do you develop things melodically throughout the course of a song you started with this with some idea as you're building out the song the different parts of it the structure mm -hmm. how are you thinking of it as you go like do you do you go back to the melody that you've written, this, the starting idea a lot? Are you just build tacking things on that you think fit? Are you really working variations and stuff in, or how does that usually work? When I'm writing, uh, I'd say up until recently, I've taken the approach where everything's a bit more of a sketch until I get to the final recorded version. A couple of this has just been how I've recorded, you know, rec where I have all the effects printed. So even if it was a great demo lead, it's like, well, I'm going to have to redo that later. So there's, I don't want to say a lack of effort, but there's definitely this just get it out feeling with parts that are melodic or even rhythmic for that matter, as I'm writing the song. Sometimes the leads are the, and the melodies are the very last thing written. I mean, in Tangerine Dream's case, this was certainly the case. There was not a melody written on it until I had everything else recorded and finalized. Because I just knew it was going to be, like I just had a vision of what it was going to be. I just, it, it was almost like I didn't need to waste my time demoing it for me because I already knew what I was going to be doing or at least where I was going to be going with it. So I like to get things to a sketch point and have at least a, you know, the, all the rhythm guitars, 
maybe maybe drums. I take the approach these days too of just not writing any drums at all and just letting it exist as to a click track and rhythms. And then I trust my drummer to write and record for that because he's just always right. He's such a thrill to work with and also is a huge part of how the songs turn out, how they do writing wise later. Because I like to take what maybe the drums, the final drums are. Say, so let me put this in like a, a temporal order. So I have, you know, the idea, I sketch it in the logic, maybe I demo it out, and then I have a printed MP3 structure. I send that over to Andreas in Norway, and he will send me back maybe a phone recording or just two, you know, overhead demo of him playing on it and ask me if I want any changes. Then I give him some direction, tell him this, this, and this, and then I just trust him to take care of it. He engineers it all himself, and he's a fantastic engineer at that. So it's really out of my hands at that point, and I love this because then I get the drums back, and I go, now here's what I'm going to write off of because this is the – I call it like legacy level. Like this is going to be here after I'm gone, right? The demos are already gone, but this is final, final, final. So now it's my job to do the final takes. Kind of like you wouldn't want your vocalist just absolutely destroying their throat in pre-production when they have to go in the studio and deliver really, really thought-provoking performances or compelling, you mm-hmm. know, performances of any any of the material. So I like to wait on some elements until I finalize maybe the main melody. Uh, there's one song I'm working on that is the first song I started writing for the album. I can I can leak the name now. It's called Nova. I've been writing it since 2016. I still today, August. 15th, 2022, do not have the main, main melody. I have no idea what to put there. And I have no worries about it at all. I know it'll be fine because every single time this happens, it works itself out. But I've, I've played on it uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, just didn't find it yet. And that's okay. It's kind of like fishing. You know, even if you're not just going to catch something, you still have to show up to the watering hole or the lake. So either way, I like to have the dressings around it and focus on that main vocal-esque lead character performance that I don't know that that process I really do enjoy because if the rhythm guitars if the bass if the drums if they're just so so no melody is gonna really save that so another way you could think of it too is maybe if you're doing hip-hop and you have a guy coming and goes that's a sick beat I'm also that guy in what I do which I'm going that's a sick beat I'm gonna lay some fire on it when I get into the studio you know it's like a recognition that you're gonna be able to do something with it hmm I watched a YouTube video last week of a guy who makes beats, and I was struck by the structure of this video. He basically put up a beat on probably TikTok or Instagram Reels, whatever, and a bunch of rappers were like, oh, I would kill this beat. I would absolutely kill this beat. And he's like, all right, do it. Here you go. Here's the beat. Let me hear you. Yeah. And, um, you know, of course, a lot of them were kind of like, oh, I don't know of time but like a couple people did it and like really interesting to see their completely different approaches Mm -hmm. to this song and one guy he was like i watched your other stuff and i know that you were really good this beat was obviously super far outside of your your wheelhouse this was not the style for you i'm gonna make a beat for you that you're gonna be able to actually kill wow and that was really interesting because i was like Hmm. I guess like you want to think that somebody who's good at their thing, they'll be able to be good on anything. But that's not necessarily true. You, um, if that were true, then all everyone would play every style of music. But you've got the thing that you do, and you know when it's ready to go. You get it set up, and then you you've built your own launch pad, 
and your own uh, your yeah your, your inspiration machine or whatever, and then you go from there. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the hardest thing I think to develop as as an artist, especially if you're doing solo. Um, I feel it's easier to do collaboratively because you have someone to reflect off of. Um, at all times, even if it's just, hey, what do you think about this, the wording in this post? And you're just, you know, working your, whatever it is, it's just nice to have someone for feedback. When you're doing stuff by yourself, you do have to build a bit of a meter of knowing what you want and when it's done, and then being able to not listen to anybody else except yourself on that. I mean, some of this music has been done, I mean, Ocean, there's three other versions of it with me on drums. And I played all the drums on it, and I it was fun to do, but you know I just didn't want it to come out that way. It just never hit that point until it did. And I had people tell me, people I love, mentors of mine, saying, "Hey, man, just put it out, just put it out." I'm like, "No, this is just genuinely not ready yet." And I was right, you know. And and of course, you anyone who's just only listens to themselves are always going to be right in that way because they're going to go, oh, "Well, it worked out for the best." But you know, I at least for myself, when it feels right. It seems to be pretty right. You know, people seem to be receptive. I mean, maybe that will change as time goes on. You know, you always have to develop your taste and your your idea of what's going to go well, maybe on a, you know, as a single or, a, or on a record. But I think trusting your instinct is so important and taking time is very undervalued, especially these days. You know, everyone's so like, oh, you got to get it done. You got to post. You got to get this done. It's like, yeah, but there might be a good idea from six years ago that's the best idea 10 years later. So don't judge it too much, you know. In that vein, how do you know when a song is done? Well, one thing that helps me a lot is I gave up mixing and any of the production side of my music. Most of this is psychological. I love mixing. I could easily, when I said not easily, but you know, I could easily see myself mixing for other artists. Not something I really want to do too much, but I really enjoy the process of working with sound, you know, in all these ways. But the issue is that there, it's very hard to take off your hat as the producer artist and then put it on the mixer master hat because you might have tendencies of thinking too much about, oh, well, I really want to make sure that lick I practice for 10 hours is heard. And it might not be the best thing for the mix. You know, the best thing for the mix might be something completely different than what the artist would want. So I'd like to get all of my tracks to a point that I'm happy with them and I can say, okay, that's good enough. And I've gotten better at being quicker at that and just admitting defeat. You know, nothing's ever really finished. That Da Vinci quote, you know, is that art is never finished, only abandoned. So you have to understand when that time comes. But when that feeling comes where I can listen back to it, I go, okay, I don't hear any mistakes. All the edits look good on my side. All the thousands of comps I've done are fine. You know, uh, that typical process. I'm not going to lie about that, by the way. There's no shame in comping your stuff. It's 2022 rock and roll. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, you finalize and you go, I can live with that. And then I bounce everything in place. I don't let the comps live. And then I delete the comps. And I do that on purpose because I don't want to think about what I could do later. Because that is just a psychological wormhole that I don't think is worthwhile. It's kind of like uh, with a video, maybe you do this, it was like you take your video, you edit it, you don't need to have all the footage laying around. Like you don't need it, you just toss it. So I almost try to treat it like I'm recording the tape. And then I export all the files to my mixer, Jeremy Kroll, who you know, he's mm -hmm. an absolute wizard with audio. I mean, that's also a reason I can think about the vision of stuff is that I already know he's gonna take whatever I send him and make it sound 
better than I can even imagine. So I just don't even really tell him that much stuff. I'm like, yeah, here's the stuff. He goes, do you have any reference tracks? I say, yeah, the stuff you've done, you know, <laughs> like, like, don't worry about it. Just do your best. He mixed my song, The Dance of Bones. Oh, cool. That's right. Because, because I was like, I need somebody who's, who knows instrumental guitar stuff. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Jeremy isn't, Jeremy's an OG. He's been around forever and around the scene and he's heard so many different players. And on top of that, he's a world-class guitar player and writer and all of this. So because I know that the person handling the finishing aspect of my music rock solid and they're reliable. It's way easier to finish because I go, well, this is because I'm going to get it. And that's, you know, just kind of knowing yourself. That's that takes time as you go. You know, I could burn another 20 hours getting a better take of this, but then my amp's going to sound different because the tubes of age. You know, it's like it's there's all these things that you can think about. It's like it's it's good enough. And then live, I can maybe do it better or practice it better or whatever it is. So it's easy to get caught in that. I used to get caught in the trap, too, of, oh, first album of I have to play it in one take because I want to be legit. What the hell does that mean? You know, like <laughs> even Van Halen didn't do that. So it's, uh, you know, it's easy to get caught in these mini processes or side quests, you know. And then you go, wait a minute. I just want to beat the – I want to play the main boss. I want to I want to finish the song. I want to do the video, put it out. So that's how I know I'm done is when I'm – I feel happy sharing it to someone else that I know – they're going to do something well with. Same as even publishing it. I know that everything's ready to go when I feel comfortable that the world can see it and it's out of my hands. Kind of like, uh, I mean, I'm not that I've done this, but I imagine it's like raising a kid. You get them to a point and you're like, well, they're in the world now. Like that, you can only do so much. That's where that feeling kind of lies around for me of finishing. Do you have any, um, aside from Andreas and, uh, I guess by the time you hand it off to Crawl, you're you're already past the the point of deciding as to whether or not it's ready. Um, do you ever outsource any of that? In like, do you ever go like, okay, well, mom or f- friend or whatever, you know, like, do you what do you think of this? Do you share it around and ask? Yeah, absolutely. I have I, ha- I have my Rolodex of people I annoy on the regular with things I'm doing, and uh, yeah, close friends who I. I I trust, you know, maybe they're not even a musician, but I just enjoy their opinion on things. And not even that they always like what I do. It's just, I like who they are as a person. I wish to share it with them. And then I just like to get someone's initial reaction. You know, if I send something to my dad, you know, he's always really kind, of course, but how someone replies is, it tells a lot. So I always like to take that and then go from there and decide how that feels, you know, whatever that is. But yeah, like uh, I'm always messaging a great guitar buddy of mine, Tom Pankhurst. I'm always sending him stuff. Dude, what do you think of this? What do you think? I think I got the last solo to this. You know, and, and he'll do the same to me, share his stuff. And that's the fun of, I think, being a musician in this era is that you can connect to people who live in Stonehenge. You know, my buddy Tom by Stonehenge, not in it. <laughs> That'd be cool. I want to do a music video at Stonehenge. Like that would be... That's the mission, right? If anyone Stonehenge. works, if anyone works for Stonehenge, hit me up. <laughs> like, like it's a like it's a corporation, Stonehenge, <laughs> Stonehenge LLC. <Inc. laughs> but uh, anyways, like I, I I like that we can connect to people and and get people's honest reaction. And if you trust the person, and I mean trust in that, you know that you know they know that they their opinion affects you. You know, so they're not just gonna say something harsh like, "Nah, this one sucks, dude." They're not gonna say that. You want to go to people who are like, "I like it, but I feel like it's missing." this or I really like it. I can't wait to hear it till it's done. That's a fun, I love that one, which is that one is it's pretty good. That's what that means, which is I love it. I can't wait to hear the final version of it, which is the hell does that mean? It's a song, you know, like when you said to Paul McCartney, hey, I have this idea I just came up with yesterday. It's like, well, wait until it's on tape, Paul, 
that's like you know. So that reaction, I, I I live off of that. So yeah, maybe I'll start harassing you with some of my ideas. <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, so I can be like, yeah, man, this will be great once you really nail the solo and not this uh, placeholder. Yeah, shit. like dude, this is the my favorite. My favorite is sending someone the final version and they go, I can't wait to hear when it's done. And it's the final master. And you're like, well, that's, well, all right, here we are. (laughs) Whoops. Okay. Yeah, just thanks so much. How much more done could it be? Yeah. Although, to be honest, if you send someone the final master for feedback, then that might be on you. Yeah, (laughs) of course. There's nothing that you can do with the feedback once you've got it anyways. So. Oh, totally. And I'm, you know, honestly with my music, when I finish it, I'm always just so excited about the projects. I feel like a little kid where I'm like, I just want to share it with everyone. I want it like everyone to put it on their refrigerator with like a magnet. So, you know, I remember before I sent or Tangerine Dream came out. I mean, the YouTube draft of that had like a couple hundred views just because I kept sending it to friends. Cause I'm like, dude, check this out. This was so fun. I had like, and they're like, tell me about it. You know? So it's, I, that whole process and what I get to do I'm just so wrapped up in that that, yeah, of course I share it with people and, you know, get their feedback. It'd be cool if there was a way to release music without releasing it. Like you could share it with everyone, but they know it's not done. And then it's finally done and people are still stoked. But that's a fantasy world. But still, you know, I just like sharing. What's it called in uh, elementary school? Show and tell. Show and tell. I was all about show and tell as a kid. Still, I love the sharing. I mean, now my job is oversharing all the time. I told you earlier about how I wound up in the women's bathroom. That's an overshare. But I think as artists who care about what other people think, at least to some extent, we love doing that, you know? Like, God, out of context, that must sound so bad. I should maybe not ever phrase it like that ever again. But, like, sharing is very important. We have to get to a point with what we're making that we want to share with people. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'll say in your case, I'd be careful about being too vulnerable in the women's bathroom, but go for it, you know? <laughs> no, but I, I'm i just playing. Uh, that's going to be a whole new bit for, for you know. as everyone talking about you. I saw you in the women's bathroom, Trey. I knew you from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, uh, there are no women who watch anything that I do, so that'll never happen. I don't get recognized by women anywhere. Really? I'll do a tour of women's restaurants. Maybe you could you gotta start wearing like a bright yellow suit, you know, or something something that attract attention. But you know, it's anything other than than black, all black, everything. Yeah. You you did mention something I wanna I I wanna make note of, which is you said about people caring, and this is a weird thing for me, which is that I care kind of. If someone likes what I do, I'm stoked that they like what I do. But if someone doesn't, I don't care. I mean, they may as well not exist with their comment. Like it might as well be a bot or something. It just doesn't affect me in in that way because there's eight billion people who are all creative. You know, there's enough for everybody. You know, so it's like I know that maybe a song won't be. Let's say I put out a song and all of the people who have currently listened to me don't like it. Okay, well, there's all the people who haven't heard of me yet, so that's okay too. So I think you have to get in this mindset where you care about the quality. And that people understand your intent in terms of going, you know, he put a lot into this. You know, I appreciate what you said about the music video. It's high production. I wanted people to have that feeling when they walked away, which is, wow, he really cares about this. Like, he's not going to give up. Like, we may as well let him in the party because he's not going away, you know? It's like that guy knocking on the window. It's like, that's what that's what that kind of stuff really is. You're saying, hey, guys, I'm here. Like, check out what I'm doing. I really want to share it with you. So you have to care about those kinds of things. But... After it's out, I think it can be really psychologically not 
healthy to care at all. Like I don't, I stopped caring about likes or views on stuff. Cause I'm like, man, this is so arbitrary. I know people who have played like the craziest events and they can't even talk about it. And they have a hundred followers on Instagram. Like, okay. You know, it's all, it's all relative. So I live a really charmed life so far, knock on wood. And I'm really lucky I get to do what I do. I'm not the most known person in, in what I do. And that's completely cool. So that means I, if I cared about that, I don't know. I, I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, I can't care about that because to get to where I want to be, I just, you wouldn't be caring about those things. They're silly. As like a social media person for a living, I've gotten to a point where what I realized is that I can't care about the negative stuff because that just means that they're not my target audience. They're not the people like if, I don't know, somebody who, um, just doesn't like the style of music that I make, doesn't like my music, that just that just lines up. Like, of course they wouldn't. Yeah. They don't get it, and that's totally fine. And I I don't know, like, I think people um, like, like to leave comments to feel a certain way, you know? But, I, you know, I used to take it kind of hard. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, no, like, this isn't the kind of person that I'm trying to connect with with the thing that I'm making. So to an extent, you care because you have to... Like, you are putting it out into the world. You're not just making it for yourself. Even if you've, like we've discussed until this point, you're making it mostly based on only your own approval of the ideas and and all the parts and everything, you know? Absolutely. Aside from working with trusted people and stuff. So, but you're you still have to care to an extent, but if somebody doesn't like it, they don't count. They don't you don't count their vote. Yeah, and I think too it's, you know, going to the idea of in songwriting when you have a vision for something or you're focused on a project and that's where you're pouring your mental energy, you know, it's our consciousness is kind of like a magnifying glass as I see it. Like uh you go outside the sun's, you know, shining down, it'll burn me, but maybe not everyone else. But then you take a magnifying glass and you put it with that sun and you can do some damage, right? It's, it becomes something that has a lot more of focus and it can do more with that energy. So I find that especially for creative people, it's really easy to to get distracted. Even in the midst of a song, let's say you're writing a song and your phone ring and it's like, well, maybe I should answer that. No, you should not. You should create, like just do what you're here to do as a human being and make things and and be in that process, that can wait, you know? That kind of stuff can wait. Or thinking about like, oh man, I hope people like this. That's not any of your business as a creative in, in the way of you should be focused on the on the craft, on the art, and on the process, not the result. And the result is of course the views, the comments, all of that. Process, that's where all of the magic is. That's what all, we all get a kick out of. And music has a really unique quality about it compared to other art forms and that it's art through time. You know, you could also say dancing is as well, but it's, especially with music, it constantly develops. So with your process and vision, you have to be able to keep that. And even it's almost like juggling, even though there's all this stuff going on, keep yourself focused on what you're trying to say and evoke from the audience, including when the audience is only yourself. Damn. I'm clipping that one. That's a, that's a great way to look at it. I Thanks, man. And it's very hard to do with so much instant feedback yeah these days there was a time when it took a, a much longer time to get that kind of feedback from people right like you get to the point where you're putting the the album out and just like waiting for the sales numbers to come back or something or like some i don't know like uh radio airplay or or whatever 
and then you were the the most immediate feedback you could get of course was playing in front of people which i think is happening a lo- obviously a lot less these days but now you can get instant feedback from a huge group of people very quickly and it's very hard to not go like if you get a either negative or positive feedback right away to change the trajectory of what you're doing based on that and not based on what you want out of it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that I think all of us who grew up with the internet, you know, I've, I've, I've had the internet maybe not my whole life, but for a good amount of time, you know, and uh, you just kind of get used to that mentality. But I don't think that's the way that we're like humans are wired naturally. So I think if you can kind of learn to unprogram some of that stuff, things go easier and smoother. I, I just speak from having to have done that to myself is just literally stop thinking about things and going, I'm not going to think about that anymore and just blink and then cure your brain and just move on, you know? (laughs) I think like, because you've, let's see, there was a a good bit of time in between when you put out the last, so the uh, Flux was 2016. Yeah. And you've put out some things in between then um, and now, aside from the two singles, but it feels like you've taken a bit of a break from the whole uh, the whole thing. It feels like that lines up with what you're talking about, like not like you've been creating all of this stuff this whole time without getting a lot of that immediate feedback. You've sort of like, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. really know. Maybe you're putting stuff out on like Instagram and stuff and I missed it, but. Um, no, I, I don't really like teasing stuff anymore either because, you know, this is how I am. If I hear something that I really like, I'm just like, I want to hear the whole thing. Like, yeah. why would you give me 30 seconds of that? When you could literally just capture me in your funnel now and it works and it'll only the sooner it is, the better, because there's more time now, you know. So with Flux, the one thing that's kind of I don't want to say an illusion about is that it took me a long time to write that album. So it took me about four years. Well, let me think. Yeah, 2016. So probably about four years of writing to write Flux. So 2016, add four years, you know, you hit 2020 pandemic. So I was supposed to shoot music videos for uh, two of the songs that are going to be coming out next or like later. And this was going to be, I think it was March 20th something, 20 something of 2020. We, I was flying over Andreas from Norway, had uh, Jake Johnston who filmed Tangerine Dream. He's, he's a wizard too, man. Talk about a, a, just a talent. Like, I don't know how he does what he does. He's incredible. Um, he also did that one last Polyphia video, Neurotica. He was the producer on that. I mean, he's just a mega talented dude. But anyways, I was scheduled to do live videos with him. So my idea was that I wanted to do this new songs live in studio with the band, even though we had never played them together before, and film it. It was all scheduled, all paid for, ready to go. And then the travel band got got signed. And I went, well, there goes the next two years of my life. Because I, I had this consistent, like I had a plan that I was going to follow exactly. And for releasing and getting things out and what I was going to do. And I went, okay, well, that sucks. And then at the same time, it was kind of a blessing in disguise is that I had this injury with my right hand that lasted for most of 2020. And I didn't play much guitar or wasn't inspired to do almost anything musical during that time when it was healing. A uh, combination of sleeping bad, uh, bad bench press form, and then the one key, I think, for anyone listening, if you get anything out of this conversation, you work at a computer, the Kensington Slim Blade mouse. The ball mouse, not the actual mouse, it will save your arm. Because I kept pinching the nerve in my elbow from all the constant magic mouse movement, and uh, it just, basically in my hand, I'd be playing guitar, and it would just go numb. 
and I'd lose all grip strength in my right hand. So I remember the last NAM 2020, you know, meet with people and all that stuff. And I'm standing there and my hand goes numb and then it would just come back and go numb. Here's here. It all was like this combination of stuff, which is that got canceled. That happened. So I didn't really feel great as a player, but I also couldn't seek much help because it was the pandemic. It was like just fresh, like everyone stay indoors. Like, you know, you can't do anything. So I was like, this sucks. So anyways, I ended up just self-rehabilitating it and figuring it out myself and then rehabbing it, just taking time off. But that is a big reason why there was a a larger break was that I tried recording a lot of the album in 2020 and I have deleted all of it because it just was not that great. Like it was just, it was, you know, you could release it, but it's not what I want to put out. Like it wasn't perfect. And not that perfect is a thing that you can hit, but it wasn't my vision. So you know, some of the stuff I've had to record a couple of times and that's its own thing as well of, you know, you go, okay, I have to do this versus going, I get to do this. So trying to wait for that mood to arise where you go, today's the day for that one. And I'm finally going to knock that out. But yeah. And then t- after flux, you know, kind of going backwards in time, put up flux and then I moved. So I moved from Indiana, you know, lived with my parents, all things were good, moved to Colorado, um, had a girlfriend, it was going all good. And then just, you know, was living there. I was teaching a lot. And then I was still putting out content fairly regularly that at that time, like uh, Instagram Live had just started. So I remember I was like, you know, doing that all the time. I just was writing and nothing was happening too quickly. I was almost expecting, now that I look back on it, I think I was expecting it to be more prolific, even though I had no proof that that should be an expectation, you know, because it took me so long to do my first one. So I really had to develop as a musician and a writer. And then on top of that, getting distracted with wanting to learn drums and then for a while, I was convinced my second album would be all vocals and that I was going to not do instrumental music anymore. And, you know, it's, it's, it was a phase, you know, but it's all good. You need to go through those. So, yeah, that's kind of the process for that. And then it really occurred to me probably, I think, last year of like, you know, you got one shot while you're here. I was doing stuff like playing a bunch of drums, going pretty hard at the weightlifting. And I was like, I got to really take care of what I'm good at. I'm better at guitar than other things. And I know a lot of good drummers, so I'll leave that to them. You start realizing, okay, I could be a lot more useful to the world if I just live a bit more humbly and go, I'm good at that. And that's what I do. So that's, I know, a long answer, but there's been a lot, you know, uh, in in that time that little delays here and there, doubts, all these things. But I feel pretty equipped now to take the bull by the horns. And the good news is I've been writing album three. It's like, I hesitate to say anything because I've been, you know, oh yeah, it'll be out this time. But I mean, I'm really happy with everything I've been writing last year and a half. It's like every idea I have, I'm like, oh, cool. So it's just a matter of developing and finishing. And one thing I'd like to share that I am doing different with my songwriting now is that because especially, you know, everything's, you know, almost back to normal now, you know, jamming with musicians regularly. So I'll take riffs that they sit in my head. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And I throw them out to musicians when I have jams. And I see if it if it has like any legs to stand on. If the band is like, oh, I have an idea for that, then I go, okay, I should probably spend some time developing it. Tangerine Dream, I know I'm jumping around. Tangerine Dream, the first riff, I jammed it with my friend Donnie. We just get together and jam all the time. We play in a cover band around here in uh, Sacramento. And we jammed it. And I came up with the second riff like on the spot. And I was like, cool. Like, this is it. Like, I have the idea. So I think the whole process of developing as an artist is one that should be invited, but it's so hard to go through it because when you're going through it, you're like, shouldn't I be doing this? Shouldn't I be doing this and this? And why isn't this done yet? But it all ends up working itself out. I think taking little detours like that can be so fruitful. Like, yeah, I also love to play the drums. I'm terrible at it. I don't expect to ever get great. And I absolutely don't care 
of all the things that I do in my life, drums are the things that I don't care if I'm good at or not because it's just so much fun, but also very inspirational. Like I'll come up with rhythmic ideas that wind up becoming things. Yeah. Because of things that I've done on the drums and like just getting into a different headspace. Like even, you know, if you had that thought of being like, oh, now it's going to be vocal music, like that maybe now that seems like you you're like, oh, that was just a phase that I did that I had like Sometimes you have to go through that to get to the thing that you're that you're actually your de- real destiny is the thing that yeah. it has to be. You have to go to through it uh, to a weird or through a weird way of getting there. And I think people get frustrated because they feel like it's um I don't know they're going the long way around or something. But in actuality. Yeah. That's what you had to do to get there, and that's totally fine. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, and I can only speak for me, you know. So it's like as we as, – as I've gone through these different changes and, and processes as a writer and as a creative in different areas, I think that there tends to be this idea of meaning, you know, bringing that up again that you kind of get out of it where you're like, okay, this is my – Transformation, like we 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 write narratives and stories, right? We're, that's what we're, we're storytellers. So we write stories about ourselves all the time, and I think that's good. But my friend Cody Davis, um, I'm giving him a shout because it's just a great quote. He says, "You know, if you're looking for meaning in everything, you're probably going to miss it when it's right in front of you." That's why I said going back to the how I come up with songs is that I know that creativity is just. I, I can't get a handle on it. No one can. If we could figure it out, I mean, maybe if you're Jacob Collier, he, that guy has like a straight line right into cre- the, the, the inner core of creativity, right? But this idea, you know, that's even a narrative. Maybe he doesn't feel like that all the time. You know, that comes to my mind is he probably goes through the same thing of going, oh man, I don't have any ideas right now. You know, <laughs> we have to trust ourselves that we're going to end up through that process. But I think this this thought comes up, which is, shouldn't this be easier? Or why is this so hard. It's like, well, where are you getting that from? Like, this is just life. You know, it's not easy to lift weights, but doing it's good for you. So do it, just go through it and get it done with. So it's songwriting. It's like, Oh, I cried because I don't know how to play that part. It's like, good. You got the tears out. Now you can work, you know, or you went through that process or whatever it is, but you know, drums to say this are the most fun thing. And James Brown, there's that story of him where he went out around to every band member. He goes, what instrument do you play? And he said, I'm a guitarist. He goes, no, you're a drummer. What do you play? I'm a trump. I play trumpet. No, you're a drummer. And until everyone in the room said they were a drummer, because rhythm is the heart of so many things, music. And I find songwriting wise, if you're ever stuck on a song or have writer's block, rhythm is a, just a fun way to try to you know defeat that demon in some kind of way. Because and I say fun literally, it's just fun. Like it's just simple fun. I think if you go at everything with this idea of like trying to make it as fun as possible, even when it's torture even when it's the hard part the work part of like get uh, whatever it is getting the the thing like you can you can still think of it as fun yeah and you'll you'll do it like i don't know you could go you go like well i could be breaking rocks i could be like whatever like yeah but yeah you're making gains too like look at it as as the as almost exercise or like um not like work work but building if it was if it was a video game if it was a video game you're adding to your stats you know you're adding exp points yeah, to every little XP. Like, like oh <laughs> man that girl that girl broke my heart but that's five points for vibrato so it's like you know it's it's as simple as that in a way but for me i get my joy and my fun out of doing what i do i mean i'm 
I don't do a lot of things outside of music. Like I'm pretty anti video game and like TV shows and all that stuff. I don't take my time to do that stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just don't like to spend my time doing those. So what I get a kick out of and what I spend my time doing is just things I like to do. So to me, the like the greatest day in the world would be all of my friends in the same room playing music with one another and having a good time. That's the best day in the world. If I had one day left, that's what I would do. Great food. Shows are that. It's all people who are maybe not your friends yet, but they all relate to what you do. You all, your spirits are shared in some kind of way, even if it's just that one song they heard on the radio that one time. That's why they bought the ticket. So to me, it's all leading up to this thing of doing as much as you can as a musician. So even if it's uphill, it's a lot of fun because all the things I want are uphill and everything I don't want is downhill. So I may as well buckle up and take a, take a hike you know, and uh, get some cargo shorts with a bunch of, you know, pockets and go up the mountain. Get yourself a fanny pack. Absolutely. And it has to match your guitar, though, if you have one. I think with songwriting, having, for me, my process is a lot of trust for myself because I've done, I also know this, I've written songs before. I've published things. I don't ever have the thought of, I don't think I'm ever going to come up with a good idea again. It's like, well, look how well that's treated me. It's I keep having new ideas. And I don't know what to do with them. So I give them away to people or whatever it is. So I like to just live a life where that's my mode of operation as much as I can. And then hope that out of that, throwing all those darts, like you were saying, that a couple of them land, that other people also are looking at that same dartboard and going, yeah, 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 yeah. He really hit that balloon. Bullseye. With that dart. Bullseye. Balloon's eye. But all we can do is try. You know, there's no, um, there's no way you can force anything in life, let alone music. You know, it's, you just have to do your best. And there's sometimes where it doesn't need to make sense. It just is what it is. And getting comfortable with that is a huge lesson I've, I've learned. Like improvisation, you have to get comfortable with that. It is all chaotic. It should be going off the rails at any moment. That's the point. It's happening in real time. That's how this goes. It's like, oh, you're breathing air. What a, what a shocking thing to, what a revelation. It's like, of course, this is hard. You know, it should be, well, unless you're Paul McCartney, it's something that we all have to work on and try, but doing your best will always yield the best. And if you don't try your best, you're never going to know. Hot damn. I kind of sound like one of those like cheesy Gary V posts right now. I also realize that. So <laughs> got to believe in yourself. You just like say fuck a lot less. You could be the guitar Gary V. <laughs> guitar V. <laughs> guitar V. <laughs> You know, what are you doing these days? I don't see you with a guitar in your hand right now. What are you doing? Get in there and fucking play, man. Your family doesn't matter. Your pets don't matter. All you need to do is practice. You want to be the next Steve Vai? Let your fucking cat starve to death. You want to be Steve Vai? Fuck Steve Vai. Be Gary V. (laughs) (laughs) Gary Vai. All right. Gary Vi. Yeah. I love Steve Vi, by the way. No, no, uh, <laughs> no, no hard feelings. I'm going to take just you saying fuck Steve Vi and that's the clip. What I'd like you to do is clip it and then use ads on Facebook Ads Manager to target where he lives and all of his interests. So he sees it every time he picks up his phone. That would be great. And it's just <laughs> me. Shit. Yeah. Oh, that would be so funny. Oh, God. That would be the <laughs> ultimate terrible prank. I mean, there's so many things that we've said here today that could be taken dreadfully out of context. I was in a women's bathroom. Fuck Steve Vai. Let your cat starve to death. And doing all those at the same time? Now that's an album. <laughs> What oh, man? Uh, we shouldn't give people any ideas because face. True. YouTube has clips now. You can clip stuff. Oh yeah. And just like 
Anyway, please don't do that. But you know, we want to keep making a living doing this shit. Clip it all. <laughs> Clip it all. Let it fucking ride. But I, I um, I think ha- having these kinds of inspirational nuggets, like for people, is almost as important as the like very hardcore stuff, like the or the very applicable like techniques or or whatever. Because honestly, people giving up right before they get to the thing is uh, i think the biggest impediment because they they don't a lot of people like who are maybe just starting out or have been doing it for a little while but don't really understand it mostly sucks like it mostly like you're not going to make everything's going to be gold like everything that you write is not going to be good and in fact it's kind of the opposite so like you need that inspiration like you need people being like no man like it's okay like it's okay if it sucks just keep going like yeah you know just keep doing your best and eventually something's going to pop out that's going to be awesome and then it just gets easier from there. Well, I think definitely as, you know, in, in my in my experience when I'm I've been trying to do something that's on the next level of any kind, you know, let's say for example the video cuz you you know, it, it, it's definitely, you know, it's the only first time I've worked with a team of people to be able to say my team. You know, that's pretty cool for me right now. It's a first. So, it's like there's this idea of, you know, imposter syndrome or whatever it is and it's to me it's almost like you have to face the idea that you were probably wrong before and that's going to happen again. And it happens in the form of self-sabotage or the results that are self-sabotage because you might go, well, for me to do this and be successful, if it really does well, then that means I've been doing everything in a way that wasn't that. So now I have to change. A good example of this is my hesitation. I've had, I recently cracked this egg is that I was thinking about how I've never been quite prolific with social media, especially after I released original music. And it was because I realized that when you do social media stuff, I mean, you have, we were talking about control. You have no control what happens after you do it. So you might put out one lesson and it might go really well, or you might put up one lick, it might go really well and the others are not. But by doing it and in my process, let's say if it went really well to be, you know, completely saturating TikTok or something. I would have to actually admit that I was wrong for the last 20 something years, but specifically on social media, probably seven years. Like, okay, I guess I was wrong about that. These strong held opinions that I identify me with, that's not me. That's hard to swallow. So I think that's why a lot of people quit is it's like they can't literally imagine themselves being in a better position. It's like, or the person that they are literally is not the character that's equipped for that role in their future. So they just continue keeping themselves now like, oh, well, I guess I'll just post it late or I guess I'll like just forget to pay that dude or, you know, whatever, like whatever it is. It's like you can just make all these little stumbling blocks along the way that add up. A lot of it's fear based. At least it has been for me. You know, it's kind of being afraid of how good it could be and going, wow, if I just did that, maybe it would actually be perfect. Like maybe that would be where I want to go. So it's fighting that idea of what you think you know is best and then also going, all right, I'm probably wrong. So let me go there. The imposter syndrome thing, when you said that, I had like a tiny revelation about it. And because, like you're saying, fear-based thinking is anti-creative, Yeah. first of all. Because being creative is about being, like having faith that things could be different. Like having this, you, you are literally making something new, creating something. And you have to... Yeah, you're, you're expanding. You're bringing something new into the universe. You have to believe that it could be. And you're having ideas about how things could be better, basically. In terms of imposter syndrome, first of all, everyone I know who is not an imposter, who are actually out there doing the thing, they all have imposter syndrome, period, just about, that I've talked to. But also, if you have imposter syndrome, if, you, if you're feeling that feeling, it's usually because you are doing the thing, you're having some measure of a success with it, and that's why you're, you're feeling it. You go, you put the thing out, 
or you did you did something, people liked it, they're asking you about it, they want to know how you did it, they're like, oh, you are so, must be some kind of uh, expert or a, a, you're making a thing, whatever. Like, you feel imposter syndrome because you think, oh, I'm not expert, I'm not the... But you wouldn't be feeling that if you hadn't done it right. To, like, if you're not in a position where you could literally, where people care enough, it's like self-defeating. Like, of course you're not an imposter. You just did the thing. You just did it. There's no imp- impostering to be done. I actually disagree with you. Great. But not not in a major way. We'll get we'll get back together after this. No, but, uh, you can disagree as hard as you want. I love it. The thing that I think is a dangerous precedent to set one is saying that all people who are successful have imposter syndrome. Because that creates this expectation that when you get there, you're still not going to feel better. So I don't think that's the case. I think people at the highest level do not have imposter syndrome. They know exactly what they're doing, and that's why they do it with such responsibility. Because they know it's their – that's like uh, – you take Kobe, for example. He knew he was the greatest, so that's why he went to the gym. He goes, well, I can't be the greatest and then slack off. What example is that going to set? So I think – Imposter syndrome, to me, it comes about when I do something new. Um, It's a new environment, and it's healthy in the way that it represents that I have everything to learn. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like this philosophy idea. I forget who I picked this up from, but um, it's kind of like the closest thing to the wise man is the court jester because it's a blank slate. There's everything to learn. So kind of like a logic session, the closest thing to a finished song is almost nothing there because it could all be there in an instant, Right. So it's the closest to that transformation, like water into ice. So imposter syndrome, you have to have it. It, It's a sign you're actually doing what you should be doing, which is putting yourself in new situations with new people and always reaching higher. But how do I put this? The reason that I felt confident enough to pour a bunch of capital and money or same thing in time, like time resources and just social resources and the getting tangerine dream done was because I did not feel imposter syndrome. I went, I have been doing this my entire adult life and I've not given it my all yet. I deserve to do that for me. I deserve to know what it's like to go all the way and learn from all the mistakes. Like I'm not saying that, by the way, everyone else also deserves this. Like it just, but in yourself going, you know what? I deserve to be happy. So I'm gonna go do that actually. In fact, like like Forrest Gump, he's like, I'm gonna go run actually. And he just did. So you can't really be an imposter or those don't really coexist because you go, well, I'm supposed to be doing this. I've prepared for this and I'm suited to be in this position because it's just is what it is. And I will do my best. Imposter syndrome, I think, has a negative effect when it prevents you from doing your best. Was you think, oh, man, I don't really think I'm good enough. You know, I have all my heroes watching my videos and like, I just don't think I got it. And so then you go up on stage in a bad attitude. And a bad attitude never got anywhere, anywhere good. And attitude's one of the only things you can control, period. You wake up in the morning, your dog could eat your dentures, and uh, your car could smash into a tree, but you can still have a good attitude about it. You can, you can choose that. So with music, I have the attitude that I'd like to have no imposter syndrome one day, and I'd like to have no mental issues of any or psychological, like, I, I want to have it sorted out. Right, because there's so many examples of people who haven't done that in creativity, but then you have people who do it all the time. You know, there's think about how many songwriters in Nashville write ten songs a day. They don't they don't think anything of it. They don't go through an artist struggle. They just go to work. So that's what I mean about imposter syndrome is that if you do know what you're doing, and that's individual for every single person, and it changes every day. But if you can know or try to know what you're doing, 
I think that's an antidote to that feeling, which is I shouldn't be here, which is you go, I should be here because I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. I'm the only, I'm the perfect guy for this because I'm, I'm the, I'm the one who has everything to learn and I'm going to be completely open to what I have to learn as well and not afraid of it. It's like you never want to be the, the best player at the jam session. Yeah. Because if you are, then uh, you're not going to learn anything. You're just... Yeah, but let's say you are, though. Like, let's say you are and you are the... Let's say it's jam and you are you purposely want a bunch of people to come out because they don't have the experience. If you know you're the most experienced, I hesitate to use the word best, but the most experienced, now you can use that knowledge and deliver on your responsibility with even truer purpose than just going like, well, I, I guess we're all trying. You know, we're all... We're all on our way. You know, that fake humble thing. I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. I don't do that. It's, it does, it's not productive, you know? It's like a, I wouldn't want a guy who's building my deck to go, well, you know, there's better. Like, well, why don't I hire him? Why don't I hire the guy who's <laughs> yeah, better you got his at number? building? Yeah, yeah. Can, yeah. can I have a referral, please? Because I'd <laughs> like that. So when you have musicians who have the attitude, and not because they don't mean it, but they're like, oh, I'm good, but, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near the best. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, we're just dust in the wind. It's like, okay. And like, do something with it. Like, I, I, I appreciate the, the living out that story, but let's change it. Let's change it up a little bit and be productive. Yeah, I, I think that's maybe the worst uh, thing about any kind of negative attitude or not even outright negative, but like just kind of, oh, I can't do this or I shouldn't be doing this or whatever. It's just that it's it's not productive. Yeah. It's anti-productive. It's anti-creative because, well, everybody is wherever they are right now at this moment in terms of their level or I don't even really like to think of it as level, but you know, whatever. And you can't get to from where you're at to where you want to be by thinking that you're not good because like or not or that you're not doing what you want to be doing well also you're not going to get where you want to be by thinking you have to do that's you know the world the world has a a doing problem not a knowledge problem you can go on youtube or google and find out how to become a the next mr or miss you know universe in about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get the information, how much longer does it take to do all of that stuff? So going back earlier about songwriting and focus is that I think it's really easy to learn too much or to have your mind in too many places rather than just focus on a couple of things and doing those as well as you can. You know, whether that's people who are absorbed into, you know, anything about the, like say world events, you know, which I guess makes sense these days, but anything that there is that's not creativity is just plain simple distraction. It really, from, if, People mean what they say, and they say, I live for music. Do you? Because why are you watching YouTube for you know five hours about your favorite political candidate? It's like, maybe you don't really live music. And maybe you could. How easy would it be to just do that? It'd be great. It'd be fantastic. And allowing oneself to completely fall into that, I mean, that's the process in itself. When I have a problem writing a song, I do not look up an article of how to do songwriting. I mean, how is that going to help me? Like the the guy, I mean, by the way, you make great content for writing songs. So I like it's time for that too. But there's this this process where you're like, okay, are you in the middle of the gig and you're going to refer to a YouTube video or are you going to figure it out? You know, it's like when you're in the driver's seat, you got to drive. So I think it's too often as musicians, we get in the driver's seat and we're like, okay, hold on, let me consult the manual. Let me put, let me put my parking brake and you get your manual. Like, okay, going back. And you never really, you just end up burning all your gas starting and stopping and never getting to where you're supposed to go. Yeah. There are people who RTFM, you know, before they start anything, they read the manual, they go through everything before they actually try the thing. Which is good. That's a good thing to do. It can be. I usually refer to that kind of stuff 
once I've tried it a little bit at least, yeah, I think that there's a point at which you've done way, way, way too much of that and you're either going to do the thing or you're not. Yeah, I mean, there's a great example of that in a way is like gear and tone and stuff. Because like, I mean, I obviously like guitar gear and tone. Like I like fooling around with stuff, but I can't tell you about how many forum posts I've read about gear I don't own and I don't even want. I'm just filling my mind with it. Of like, oh, why does this thing suck? Let me read about it for 10 hours. It's like, what? <laughs> like, you could just not do that as well, you know? And again, be do something productive. But it's just the nature of human, you know, human nature is that we're we're funny little beings. And uh, we have to figure it out as we go and hopefully become prolific as creatives, you know? And, and, and in a way, it's like there's the universe is either expanding or compressing. It's like black holes compress. Everything else is expanding. The constant is expansion. It's... So, I mean, I'm no scientist. I play one on TV, but it seems to be that. So maybe we should just lean into where it's going, you know, just kind of go the way the wind's blowing. Oh, it's growing. Let me add to it. That sounds like a good idea. So, well, I think that's a great way to look at it. Um, I think your outlook on music and creativity is very inspiring and thanks, man, and extraordinarily positive. And I appreciate that a great deal because I think I tend to. Get a little, uh, get a little negative on my own stuff in a lot of ways. I wouldn't say that I struggle necessarily with imposter syndrome so much because I've sort of identified it and dealt with it in my own way, knowing the things that I am good at and that I like. But yeah, um, but I appreciate this outlook and all of the things that you, you're saying here today um, for myself, and I think that. The way that you're looking at it, everyone could benefit in a very tangible way because like like you're saying, like the go to work, like the just uh, you can you can just you just keep doing it. And it's yeah. not this uh, grandiose like philosophical adventure like you can kind of just you just start doing it and you just keep going and you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I think more people need to do that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's it's funny. You know, it's like, of course, you go on the internet and you can fall in all these little rabbit holes, but like simulation theory is one of my favorite mm-hmm. ones because of how much it can't matter, which is like, I'm never going outside of it, dude. And if if Morpheus appears, totally, like that would be cool, right? But, you know, it's like, why, why spend time thinking about this stuff? Or the temperature of Jupiter right now. <laughs> what am I going to do with that? Like maybe make it, oh, I was looking at the temperature of Jupiter and I made it the tempo of the song. Cool. That could be, that. I get that. <laughs> but I don't know. I, get, I guess my point is... Uh, is made though. I think our time is is all fleeting here and our focus is even more so, especially in the modern day of just instant gratification, distractions, phones going off, people needing you or what what have you. So if you have it, use it. You know, if 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 you have the the inspiration and it's there, maybe it's worth being late to dinner. Maybe it's worth not taking that phone call from your uh, from your family or your, like maybe maybe not you know it's it's all just for you to decide. So really you know I'm, I'm so glad we're talking about this stuff because it it really is a part of how I approach creativity. It, is that creativity is not just music; it's quite literally everything that you express. Whether like I use a lot of humor or I try to, and it doesn't always land, but it's my way of expressing who I am. So I enjoy to do it. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be me. So it's all important that we find what we are good at and what we want to naturally express and then allow that to completely change overnight if it has to. Awesome. Well, I think that is a great button to put on this whole thing. Heck yeah. My remaining questions are about... Lightning round? Lightning round. Well, no, just about the uh, the uh, what you're doing. Um, so you have 
so far released two singles recently are the and you referenced it as album uh, as the next album yeah you so you have an album coming yeah named artwork's done uh, all the songs are decided i just have to finish up a couple of those leads i mentioned that i'm still looking for the right little melody but a couple of things like that and then i have to send it off to mix and master but doing the tangerine dream I don't want to say delayed the other music in a bad way, but I was I had so much fun doing the video that I'd want to do that more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting the resources together and the vision. I already have a couple, you know, cool videos in mind of how what I want to pull off. And, you know, I just want to keep getting more wild and wild with the videos, from at least more in-depth with different details and just get into that. So I'm going to do single releases leading up to the album. And... Uh, yeah, it just seems to be that's what people are doing now with that whole waterfall release method as well, you know, where you're kind of tagging it on. Mm-hmm. Um, I intended to do that with Tangerine Dream, but I clicked the wrong button. So it's all good. Uh, next time. Next I time. Think you can, I think you can change it after the Probably fact. with the beings, with Distro the wonderful people Kid. at DistroKid. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way to do it. And if not, they're a great customer service. You can ask them and they'll help you with anything you need 24 hours a day. So uh, it's true. Maybe not 24 hours a day, but anyways, it's <laughs> so uh, as quick as yeah. you could actually need it. And I'm also with this, I'm my live band is formed and we're rehearsing. So I'm trying to have these go in parallel to when the album launches, the live stuff's already cruising and we already have shows going and just People are from the, like we're playing all the new material live already, so it feels really good already. Like before, it's even mixed and mastered. So mm-hmm. with all the things moving at the same time, I think then the album will have good impact rather than just being like out there in the wind. Yeah. Um. So it, if people want to know, they want to get informed when it's uh, when the next singles are dropping, new music videos, uh, album, and follow you and all of that. Where's the best place to do that? Uh, you know, all the social media. If you look at my my name, Sean Ash, spelled S E A N A S H E. I'm the long-haired ginger that shows up. So it's pretty easy to find me there. But my website's seanashmusic.com. Instagram slash seanashmusic. Uh, TikTok is the same. YouTube is Sean Ash Official. Um, I'll be making noise everywhere, and then you know. Just spamming people with what I do. Check this out. Oh, and Twitter. I quite like Twitter, by the way. Guitar Twitter is not as lit as it could be. And I think that it needs to become more of a thing. I just want to say that. I like I like guitar Twitter, but we need more people yelling into the into the night. And into, <laughs> Screaming yeah, into the dude. void about, <laughs> about guitar. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, join Sean Ash's guitar Twitter tirades. Go retweet that shit. <laughs> yeah, man, the clon is so the clon is so good. I love how it sounds. You know, just like no, it's overrated. You're an idiot. Late late night, it's like you know, th- throw a couple back. Be like, man, the axe effects is so good with the clon now, and like it's just it's just full nerdery to the extreme. Cool. Um, and in the description of this video, there is a link to Tangerine Dream, the music video. It's epic. Like even if you didn't like music. You should watch this video because it's awesome. Uh, it's got everything. And then there's an ama- there's amazing music and Sean just ripping. It's just like it's it exists in both worlds so well. Just that, and then two great tastes taste great together. Um, so, and it's fun as shit. So be sure to check that out. And um, and it was so nice talking to you today. Dude, thank it was, thank you. It was so great to have you. You're so complimentary and so kind. And you're just. I know I speak for your entire audience that your passion is why we're all here. And I really appreciate your passion and care for what we do. And I can't wait to continue watching you grow and uh, to catch up again later. Hell yeah, dude. Thank you for hanging out. And uh, we'll catch you 
soon, real soon. Peace. All right, guys. Thank you all so much for watching. Huge thanks to DistroKid for sponsoring this video. If you want 7% off your first year, there's a link where you can um, get that or use my code uh, GearGods. Oh, I don't remember what it says. Uh, well, it's it's also in the description um, for to get your 7% off your first year for the best way to get your music on the internet. DistroKid is the jam. Huge thanks to Sean Ash for taking the time. Um, congratulations, my dude, on the release of the new track and the previous one, which is called Oceans. Um, also really good. Um, just saw, listened to that for the first time. Also has a sick music video. Check that out as well. If you like melodic guitar stuff that's just memorable, catchy, and so ripping, follow Sean Ash on all of the things. Thank you guys for watching. I do this every, uh, not every Monday. I do this often on Mondays for all the episodes of the How Songs Are Made podcast. You're going to want to head over to, you guessed it, howsongsaremadepodcast.com. All 21 previous episodes of the podcast are up as audio episodes and also um, here on the channel as the interviews live as videos um these are so much fun to do i do them honestly more than anything for myself to learn about people's creative processes and i hope you enjoyed this and we will um and uh i've got a couple more lined up really really cool ones lined up that i'm very excited about coming up in the next couple months here i will uh see you all very soon 